so just a little bit of something for you guys as we are uh, going through all of this, uh, the book of Exodus. I just want to let you know, we are going to be in the Bible in the book of Exodus 29. I know you're like, what? How are we going back? Because we skipped by accident, just so you guys know. And as this is a chapter of atonement, we will atone for that tonight. <laughs> and I know you will pour out your mercy and grace as we go through it. Um, but we're going to continue with the description um, of what the priestly duties were. So you guys know in chapter 28, we specifically talked for a whole chapter of the fashion and styling of the Lord of the priests. So the, obviously God has a lot to say about how we are to present ourselves, even than what we wear. That's kind of like a crazy thing for me to think about is God is very concerned about what I wear. Like, that's just a thought, right? Like, you go in the closet and you're like, ooh, wait a minute, what does God want me to wear today? And that can maybe, maybe make you pause and rethink a few, you know, wardrobe choices. But that's important because the presentation is a thing. Now, obviously, Calvary Chapel is known for being very casual and relaxed, and we put the focus on, you know, on Jesus Christ and, and more about that than making a presentation of ourselves. But we also want to think about this. What am I bringing to my relationship with the Lord? And that's what we're going to continue in today. And so I just want to let you know, the continuation of this is you need a priest. That's why chapter 29 is there. You need a mediator to enter into the relationship that was severed by your sin so you could get back with God. So that's what we're going to be talking today. So this is a direct foreshadowing of everything that you are going to be hearing about Jesus if you were going through like the book of Hebrews. And I do encourage you, Go through the book of Hebrews as you're going through the book of Exodus, and you'll see the comparison. You'll see the relationship. And the reason I say that is because um, I never want um, for us to miss out the opportunity to appreciate deeper what the Lord is saying through the Old Testament. And there's a, there's a, a strong movement in the United States of America, especially where some people kind of just kind of skip over the Old Testament. And that's a shame, and I'll let you know, because for you to have a deeper and richer understanding of the book of Exodus— you could read Hebrews. And for you to love Hebrews, and you could see why. Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why did somebody have to die for my sin? Why did an innocent person have to be slayed for me? Well, it's right here. And so you can see the gravity of it can make you appreciate the love. And now you can see why there's Bible verses where the Lord says, you will never know how wide or how deep my love is because we don't know because we haven't experienced until we dive into the richness of this text and experience it for ourselves. It's not just enough for a pastor to say it. It's not just for enough for a book or a podcast to say it. It's important that we read it. Um, so I just want to bring you into that. So we need a Messiah for our salvation, to bring us to God. We need a high priest to usher us in, and that's the, pre the high priest's job. And that's why I wanted to bring into your mind, and you think about this, when you approach God, if you think about it, you by yourself, without Jesus Christ, you have no right to petition the Lord. Like, you could yell, you could scream, but you have no right to an audience uh, of the Lord without Jesus Christ. And yet, here we are, standing in the presence of God because of Jesus Christ. And I think about that as a very adequate description of what we're going to see is we are not adequate enough, so that person who was adequate had to come and make a way. If you're with us on the weekends and we're studying the book of John together, you can see why he says, I am the gate. I am the door. Because you will not be able to enter into the throne room. You will not be able to enter into the presence of God if it were not by me. And so this is what the Lord is saying. I have brought this... Um, I've brought this situation to your face this way so that you could see that you had inadequacies, you lacked, and I provided. 
There was a break in our relationship. You were separated from me because I was holy and you were unholy and I brought you together in my righteousness, not yours. So everything that we have is a gift from God. And that's why I would say that there's two kind of opposing feelings here. One is I come to the Lord with complete humility. Why? Because anything I can offer him is imperfect, right? Uh, Lord, uh, I know I was the worst. I know I said some things in traffic today. I did read my Bible this morning, but I said some things in traffic right after that. I listened to Christian radio, though, to make up for it. And then I went home and, you know, I, you know, I complained and I whined. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't really, like, love on people. I didn't forgive the way that I should, but you still love me, right? That's the best that I can give. Christian radio and Bible devos in the morning. And yet with humility, I go, but my imperfect offering was covered by his perfection. And that's how the Lord sees me. And then now what happens after that? Now with boldness, I proclaim everything that I have is his, so therefore it can't fail. I can fail, it cannot fail. Every gift, that perfect gift that God has given me, I have been blessed with and he has not held it back, so therefore I will now boldness proclaim like we did at the Freedom Fast Outreach. It's not mine, it's his. All glory goes to God. I will walk from here to eternity because Jesus Christ said so. Well, why? Because he loved me. How do you know? Look at the cross. So that brings us to uh, Exodus chapter 28, verse 41. I just want to remind you as we connect these two chapters, after you put these clothes on, your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint them and ordain them. Consecrate them so they may serve as priests. So I just want to let you know, this was a call to what was going to happen in Exodus chapter 29. So just, just a quick refresher to us. The Lord said, after I put these clothes on you, I'm now going to tell you what you're going to do in these clothes in this office of priests. And I just want to remind you that it says, anoint them. So there's a pouring out of oil, but that's to remind you that you would need to be covered by the Spirit of the Lord. Once again, a gift. And consecrate them. Set them apart. You need to be different. You can't be like the world. You can't be like the old you. You need to be picked up. You need to be cleansed. You need to be you know, poured out oil on. And then you need to be removed from the world because I have a special calling on your life. And you can't do the old stuff. You have to go a new way because I'm bringing you into the presence of God. Why? So that I can sanctify all that you do. In your hands, in your feet, wherever you go, all your words need to be sanctified. Which brings us to our first point. Surrender and sacrifice is not about loss, but what God can do with what you put in his hands. See, we can look at that as very, you know, the, the life of a Christian is very tough. He's always asking me to give stuff up. He's always asking me to make a change. He's always asking for me to remove stuff. And I know it doesn't do it, he doesn't do it in a vacuum, right? He doesn't ask me to get rid of something and then just leave it. He puts something in my hand. But think about what God can do with your whole life. And that's what this chapter is about. What can the Lord do when he sets apart you, your words, your life, your breath, your feet, your hands, everything? What can he do? What if you gave yourself wholly over to the Lord and let him recraft what your abilities are? And that's an amazing thought when you think about this. This is a ceremony about a process. And that process is to enter into a covenant with God, which means a contract. Deeper than a word than a contract, it's a lifestyle, right? But this covenant, this contract is this. The Lord goes, you don't understand. When I enter into your life, I want to change your story, but I want to change your story to the level of my story. Think about where God found you and then him going, I want to raise you up to the level of maybe a legend that could be echoed in heaven. And when God got a hold of Joey, when God got a hold of you. Look at verse 1 of chapter 29 as we look towards this sacrifice. And so the first thing we're going to talk about is the consecration of the priests. 
So it says this in verse 1. This is what you are to do. Consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. And that's kind of like what we did tonight as to open up the service. We worshiped, right? We worshiped. We took out of our time. We took out of our talent. If you were sitting near me up front, you wouldn't say maybe not so much talent, but a lot of time. He was singing to the Lord. But you have to think about this. It was a, a spiritual sacrifice. That's why we always talk, touch on Romans 12, to be living sacrifices, right? And, and we have to consider this. This word is consecration is also kind of an ideal of the Lord is going to be pleased. And you think about when you worship tonight, was the Lord pleased? Was the Lord pleased with us as a church service? It's still early yet, right? We haven't, we, haven't, we haven't concluded. You can tell me after. Look at this. He says, take a young bull and two rams without defect. And then from them, the finest wheat flour, make round loaves without yeast, thick loaves without yeast and with olive oil mixed in, and thin loaves without yeast and brush with olive oil. Put them in a basket and present them along with the bull and the two rams. And now we're going to talk about cleansing, clothing, and anointing. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. And so this would be done in front of the people. Remember, we are out in the desert and the Lord is kind of bringing out some instructions. You have never been a nation of Israel yet. You've heard about Abraham, you've dealt with Moses, but right now I'm constructing what the nation of Israel will look like and how they will worship. And this is the beginning. So people are listening for the first time. Lord, how do you want me to worship you? As a new Christian, that's how you should be talking. How do you want me to do this, Lord? I've never been able to stand in the presence of a God. I've never been able to stand in the presence of a God without shame and guilt. How do you want me to worship? And he's gonna show you. There needs to be sacrifice. And before that, there needs to be a washing. And so they probably stripped them down, not naked. They probably stripped them down to the white linens. I don't know if you remember. You can go back to chapter 28. They had white linens that they would wear. They probably stood there, and they were washed in front of everybody. And so it was like more of an immersion than a deep scrubbing. But you think about this. We must be cleaned before we can be heard. Just think about that. Remember, we don't have a right to enter into a conversation with God. Now, we do it with peace as Christians today, but remember, we're looking back with hindsight, 2020, right? This is before Jesus Christ. And so this is a priest going, I'm going to earn the right by listening to what he said, not by my works, but by being obedient. And this is how he's being obedient. Lord, please forgive me. Can we do that today? Lord, I'm about to talk to you about some stuff, tough stuff. Can you please forgive me? And then can you please Restore me. James would touch on this very strongly in the back end of chapter 5, verse 16. He would say, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, what it doesn't say there is a perfect Christian. It does not at all. It definitely doesn't say someone who listens to Z88.3 all day. What it says there is that a person that is not apathetic to God or apathetic to their sin, what it says, the prayers of a righteous man, I'm going to give you a better translation, completely forgiven and restored, who has entered into the righteousness of God. So the person is not being apathetic to their sin and they're not apathetic to God, but what they are is pursuing God in his righteousness. And so the Lord is saying, point blank to us, the prayers of a righteous person is effective. So what does that mean for us? Well, we have to get ready. Just think about that. Do, do you prepare yourself for your time with the Lord? That's a crazy thought. So, Lord, before we can go any further in this conversation, first let me start by saying, forgive me. 
Look at verse 5. Take the garments and dress Aaron with a tunic, the robe of, of the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem to the turban. And like I said, you can go back to chapter 28 for more in-depth look at all the, the pieces of the articles of clothing the priests wore. But I want to let you know what the Lord pointed out again one more time. He said, go ahead and put on that ephod. And I don't know if you remember what we talked about, the ephod being like an apron for service. I want you to not think that you're just coming to this relationship just to sit and listen. I'm going to put you to work. Second thing he says, I want you to tie it up, and then I want you to put on the turban. And that turban had a sacred emblem. And if you can remember, it said, holy unto the Lord. So you are crowned with a thought of this. You're going to enter into service, but you're going to have on your mind, I am being made holy unto the Lord to do holy service for him. As we can recall, going back to 1 Peter, we are a royal priesthood. This doesn't just apply specifically clothing-wise to a priest back in ancient Israel. This applies to you today. I need to be sanctified before I can do what the Lord has asked me to do to please him, right? And look at verse 7. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head and bring in his sons and dress them in tunics and fasten caps on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons and the priesthood is theirs by lasting ordinance. I just want to remind you that word ordinance is a very fantastic word. That word ordinance is along the lines of consecrate, but it's closer to this. I want you to take out your hands. Now that they've been, Lord, I've put away my sin, right? I've gotten rid of what I was holding. I've been cleansed. Now I stand before you. Now you need your hands filled. You've been ordained to do a new walk, a new way. I need to put new things in your hand. And what is the new things God's going to put in your hands? His promises and his plans. His instruments, his tools. It's kind of interesting. I'm just, I'm going to kind of say this fascinating. Somebody donated pillows to us. I was like, that's nice. And somebody came in today and said, we have pillowcases. By themselves, they're nothing. But when you submit them to the Lord, your hand is now filled with an instrument of the Lord. Somebody might have um, an opportunity to lay on a soft pillow where they didn't. But you can say, you look at something as small, but when you fill your hands with the Lord is opening up, you can do great things. But if I'm not living for the Lord, I'll have never received those pillows. I may have never received those pillow cases. That's what he's saying. God is saying, put in your hands what I put in your hands. Look at the next part. It says, then you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. And so Jesus and I know that when they're pouring this oil out, I don't know if you've ever seen, like sometimes you see like that kind of oil. Or over here, sometimes the elders will do a little, like they're very nice to you. You know, they put the little dab because they know they don't want to ruin your outfit. You may have paid a lot for it, you know, like that. But this was a jug, bloop, 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 right over the top of Aaron. And so first he's clean, then he's dressed, and then he has this, the, the oil poured on him. If you look at Psalms 133, it actually says it drips so much it just saturated all the way down to his beard. And I want to remind you of how deep and rich this word is because we could just read it and go, well, he, yeah, I get it. He's the priest and we want to pour out. But there's a special anointing when the Lord has you do something great. This word anointing is also closer into the description of the word Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. It's kind of interesting, right, when you call yourself a Christian and follow the anointed one of God. I just want to think about when he went down to his baptism, what happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out on him. When was the Holy Spirit poured out on him? In his obedience to God. Up until that point, he was just a guy walking around, and he obviously had a special purpose, and he had a calling, he had an appointment, but it wasn't until the anointing of the Lord came down, and the anointing of the Lord didn't come down until when? He was obedient to God at the place and time that God had called him. And then what did he do? He filled his hands. He was consecrated. He was ordained to go do what God asked him to do, and did he do it well? 2,000 years later, we're still singing about the anointing of God. 
And so that's why I want to prepare you for this next slide. It says, when preparing for the presence of God, we should ask for this. And you don't have to do this as a formula. You don't have to do this as anything specific. But I want you to have this in your mind. When you're praying, first thing you want to pray for consecration is for his forgiveness. Now, Jesus was pure and holy When he came down to get baptized, John the Baptist was like, I can't even touch your shoes. That's how holy you are. But think about that. We are not. So, Lord, please forgive me. We need your forgiveness. For us to move forward in your service, in your ministry, in your life, I need your forgiveness. The second thing I need is your righteousness. I need you to clothe me in what you have because what I have isn't good enough. In fact, the Old Testament, Isaiah would say, what we have is just like rags. You know, withers. The Lord is turned off by that. But if we get clothed in the, the power and the righteousness of the Lord, which brings us to the last part, we need to be poured over by his spirit. Poured over by his spirit. Just think about this. Is for me, myself, I'm just a kid that, whose parents got divorced. Um, we got the news on Christmas Eve when I was 15. And by 18, I was trying to commit suicide. That's my legacy on my own. But yet when the Lord got a hold of me and wrote his story, he said, but I want to pour out my spirit on you and I want you to be uh, not a preacher of death. I want you to be a preacher of life. And that's because that's what God would do. He would move me through his forgiveness and then clothe me in his righteousness. And then I'm empowered by his spirit to do what he's asked me to do. Same as you. And our worship should reflect that. Our prayer life should reflect that. Everything about us should reflect that. Like once again, not perfect, but righteous. So in, in humility, I'm nothing. But clothed by him, poured out by his spirit, I'm the holy priest that's working in his kingdom. And that's not reserved for me. That's reserved for everybody in this room. Look at verse 10. So now we're going to move to three different types of sacrifices. And you can see that. And we're going to kind of touch on how that works for us. Uh, the first one is the sin offering. Verse 10 says, Bring to the bull to the front of the tent of the meeting. And Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head and slaughter it in the Lord's presence at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And take some of the bull's blood and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. And then take all the fat on, and the internal organs and the long lobe of liver and both kidneys with fat on them and burn them on the altar. But burn the bull's flesh and its hide and its intestines outside the camp because it is a sin offering. Now, I just want to let you know there's a lot of symbolic presence here that you can take away. You're already probably picking up on it. But just think about this. This is all about transference. You have these people that are about to enter into a relationship with the Lord in a deeper way. And so what do they do? Aaron and his sons put their hand on the bull's head. And just so you guys know, there can be a little bit of that's lost in the English translation, but it's like a pressing. Take my sin. I don't want it anymore. You take it. You don't deserve it. You're an innocent bull. You were innocent. You are strong. You don't deserve this, but please take it. So they're pressing with one hand, all Aaron and his sons. And this is the idea of transference. My sin bear, bore my consequences. The wages of sin is death. It's my death, but Christ, Christ takes it. Is he not innocent? Is he not powerful? Remember what he said to John? If I wanted to, I could call angels down right now. But I'm not going to let this cup pass from me, Right? And so this innocent bull would be killed in front of them as they're confessing their sins. And this word slaughter is also ritualistic. So just you know, there's a specific way God asked them to do it. Not cavalier, not just stab the bull, but I would need you to do it in a specific way. And they would take this bull and kill it. Now, it's interesting that they would kill, they would kill it and then put part of it on the altar and then put part of it outside. And you'd go, that is kind of unusual and weird, isn't it? But the best parts were burnt before the Lord and the worst parts were taken outside of the camp. When you think about this, 
there was another person that was taken outside of the city of Jerusalem to be killed. And it was right outside the sheep gate where normally the slaughtered animal, the animals to be slaughtered would be brought in, but he was let out. Hebrews 11, or sorry, Hebrews 13 would touch on this. In verse 11 through 13, he says, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go, outside, go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. And so this is just an echo and a call for you. You can see Paul, as he's learning all about Jesus Christ. Remember, he was a rabbi initially. He got turned toward the Lord. He was pursuing Christians to throw them in jail or kill them. And then the Lord got a hold of him in his heart. And as a Jewish rabbi, you could see the, the, the dots starting to connect. You know, we, we take the bull and drag them out. And they drag Jesus out. And then they killed him outside. Why? So sin could die that death on the cross, that the body, the, the fleshly body of this world could die that die, death on the cross and that the world could be here and die here, but the, but the spirit could be resurrected and the body, the new body that would come in, the glorious body that would come in that the Lord has in store for us in heaven, that's what's waiting for us, not this here right now. And I think that's fascinating that he makes that connection. Verse 15, it says this, take one of the rams and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head, slaughter it, and take the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar. Cut the ram into pieces and wash the eternal organs and the legs, putting them with the head and the other pieces. Then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, a food offering present to the Lord. So this is the peace offering. And I'm going to let you know, once again, in English, it's a little bit lost, but it's cool to hear the, what they were actually saying. So when they were doing the sin offering, they put their hand on the bull like this and they would press into it. But when it came to the peace offering, they put both hands on it. And I want to give you a representation of what's happening so far is that we have moved past the, the sin offering, right? Lord, please forgive me my sins. Now what are we moving into? Lord, I didn't live for you holy. Now I will. This ram is burnt holy. No parts are taken outside. This is a direct representation of not the focus on the life of the sinner, but the focus on the life that you will now lead. Remember, the Lord doesn't do anything in a vacuum. He doesn't take away your old life and then go figure it out. He says, and now you belong to me. Your, your old life is gone, but now your whole new life is mine. And listen to this word, this pleasing aroma. Isn't that a fantastic word? I mean, especially when you think about it, there's a lot of there's a lot of blood. I know this sounds like a barbecue is going on because there's a lot of fire and meat being thrown around, kind of like men's R&R. This is not like this. It's actually kind of messy. There's blood being slung around. The animals are not excited about this, obviously. So they're doing what they're doing, right, because they can sense what's going on. Because remember, this, this happened for a while. And just think about this. The Lord in the middle of this is going, but there is a pleasing aroma. You know what that pleasing aroma is? You were once dead in your sins. And now your life is wholly mine. When they burned this animal, that what it says here, the burning was more like a huge plume of smoke that went up to heaven. So it wasn't just a burning. It was a huge like chimney of smoke going up, up, up. And the Lord's like, you know what? I like this. I like this. Why does the Lord like this? Because he desires to be with you. All of this is in preparation so that you and the Lord could spend time together. And you know who's excited? God. That's amazing. So just to recap, we have a bull who's powerful and innocent, and his sacrifice allows us to get our, our sins forgiven, but let's say temporarily atoned. And then we have a ram, and we're just talking once again, holy representing, burning the whole lamb, his dying to himself and then burning up. My life is now your life. Now we move towards consecration. Take the other ram. And Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on his head. Verse 20. 
slaughter it. Take some of its blood and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs of their right hands, and then the big toes of their right feet. And then splash against the altar and take some of the uh, from the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it, on, sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and his sons and their garments. Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. So once again, this is kind of crazy because we have a lot of blood flowing around, but there's a couple things that you should note here that it's, they're applying the blood to the person now. I kind of contemplated doing that today, but I was just like, that would be wild if I just was covered in red and you guys were like, well, Joey, what are you doing? But just think about this. This is a very personal process. Now we move from just sanctifying the heart. Now the Lord is coming in and into your life, and now he's directing it because if you know anything about Jewish culture, the right hand is the side of power. So he's saying everything that you have in power, everything that you have in skill, I want to now claim. So what does he do? He puts his blood on it, saying, here's the receipt. It's mine. Remember, I paid the price for you. Has Jesus paid the price for you? He has the receipts in heaven. Philippians says we wrote our sin on him. And guess what? By his blood now we are saved. We are now his. We are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because of him. Now look at, the, look at the words here. Verse 21. Take some of the blood and take some of the anointing oil. Let me, take, let me put that in perspective for you. Take some of Jesus Christ. Take some of the Holy Spirit. And now splash it on God's people. Where is the church without Jesus? Where is the church without the Holy Spirit? And yet you stand here ordained to overcome darkness, to overcome sin and death. Why? Because the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ have come to you and given you a new consecrated life. I take what is evil out of your hand and replace it with a holy priesthood. You are now mine. I claim you. But because I claim you, I give you my power to go forth and win. And that's what he's saying. Verse, and verse, uh, sorry, uh, the end there, he says, the and his sons of garments will be consecrated. So not only the sons will be consecrated, everything on them will be consecrated. And that's what I want to bring to the next point. The blood of Christ will sanctify all that you do when you submit what you have to him. And that's interesting when you think about that. And I'm so sorry for anybody with left hands, left-handed people in here. Not with left hands, but left-handed people. I hope you still have your left hands. My wife has her left hand, but you know what? The right ear, what are you listening to? Who are you listening to? The right thumb, what will you do with all the power and skill that you have? Will you give it back to the Lord? And the right toe, will you go where he says to go and will you follow when he goes? And now the priesthood is now united to the Lord in calling in spirit. And that's everybody here. Like, I have the, the responsibility of standing up here before you and preaching the word, but every single one of you have the responsibility of preaching this same word wherever you go. You have spheres of influence of people that I will never see, and yet the power of the Holy Spirit will go on and do great things. Just think about Jesus. He said, you will now go on and do greater things than I have done. Just think about he spent three years in Israel, but has the world had an opportunity because of the faithfulness of Christians who believe in Christ to go where the enemy wouldn't want them to go, and yet the word still is preached and people are saved. I understand now that some people believe that inside of China, as the, uh, the church is being crushed, they're putting cameras inside their churches and, and telling the preachers what they can say and what they can't say. And when they preach the word, they throw them in prison. And yet, I understand this is what they think the consensus is, that the church of China is bigger than the population of the United States. Because when you sprinkle the blood of Jesus Christ and the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit, you are united in spirit with Lord. How can you lose? And this is all working in preparation for us to be united with God forever. Look at verse 22, and we're going to move into the, the wave and heave offering. That'd be kind of cool if we had one of those, right? The wave and heave offering. 
That'd be cool service. Take this ram, the fat, or the, the, the ram, the fat, the fat tail, and the fat on the eternal organs, the long lobe of the liver, both kidneys with fat on them, and then the right thigh. This is the ram for the ordination. And from the basket made without yeast, which is before the Lord, take one round loaf, one thick loaf with olive oil mixed in, and one thin loaf, and put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons, and have them wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. And then take them from their hands and burn them on the altar along with the burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Once again, a food offering presented to the Lord. And after you take the breast of the lamb for Aaron's ordination, wave it before the Lord as a wave offering, and it will be your share. Verse 27, consecrate those parts of the ordination ram that belong to Aaron and his sons, the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. This is always to be the perpetual share from the Israelites for Aaron and his sons. It is the contribution the Israelites are to make to the Lord from their fellowship offerings. Kind of an amazing image, right, to think about it. Can you imagine if you came in here one day and Pastor Craig had just freshly slaughtered a lamb, and he goes, and now we wave and heave. And he's just waving this big cut of lamb, and it's just blood flying everywhere. But I want to let you know, this is not just kind of a, a, a thought where you go like, well, this is another weird thing that God wants. This is choice cuts of meat. And the Lord is saying, I want you to take your best and I want you to hold it. When he says wave and heave, the word is closer to hold up high. Like when we're in worship, you would use the same words. I hold my hands up because the Lord has it all and in him I have victory. The symbolism is here is I take the best that I have and I wave it up to heaven because in victory I am now allowed to say I am his and he is mine. And everything that I have in me is just amazing. I always like to look at it in this way. If you take a diamond, right, and you pull it out of the ground, it's kind of not as perfect as it looks like on a, on a ring or in jewelry, right? But when a, and a master craftsman gets a hold of it, he'll polish it and he'll clean it. And then what will he do after he does that? He'll hold it up to the light. And then the light will shine through it. And then what will happen? It'll sparkle and dazzle everybody. And more facets and more cuts, the more it dazzles, right? And the more that it put, puts that light spray out there. And that's what this is looking like. What will it look like when I hold up all that I have, that I'm excited, now that I have this choice cut of life, when I hold it up to the light, will I let God shine through? And in victory. So this triumph is a win. So this, even though, like I said, it'd be kind of crazy if there was... I mean, I'm sure we would all dress a lot differently if there was blood sprayed all across the front here and we got lambs out the door and you'd be like, oh my goodness. But in here, you would say this, but something innocent had to die for me to get here. And now I want to give you my best. Which brings us to the final consecration, verse 29. Aaron's sacred garments will belong to his descendants so they can be anointed and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as his priest and comes to the tent of the meeting to minister to the holy place is to wear them seven days. Take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in its sacred place at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. And Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat those offerings by which atonement was made for their ordination and consecration. But no one else may eat them because they are scared. Or sacred, sorry. But they are sacred. I'm scared right now. Um, and if any of the meat of the ordination ram or bread is still left over till morning, burn it up. It must not be eaten because it is sacred. And so that brings us to our next point. Unity is found in obedience, and true obedience is found in true love or love. I want you guys to understand what the Lord is doing. He is bringing us together in this way. The only way that you will know that your heart is sold out for the Lord is when you have entered in complete submission and surrender and entered into his life. And you will never have that if you're not truly obedient, but you will never be truly obedient unless you truly love God. 
I always bring the case in point. I come home, first thing I like to do is, not TMI for you guys, but I like to throw my clothes all over the place, all over. I like to throw my shirt as far as I can. That's just the greatest thing. Get out of these clothes, it's great. But that's not great for Jackie, is it? And what does she do? She points to the basket. But if I love Jackie, I run over to the basket. It's not about what I want. It's about my love for her. doesn't matter if I understand it. doesn't matter if I even care to even figure it out one day. What matters is it's important to her, and I love her. And if I love her, I love what she's about. And the same thing enters into the relationship with the Lord. True obedience is found in love because, you know what, I have now have this commandment. The Lord has called me this way. Why else are we burning rams all day? Why are we taking the bull half in and half out of the city? Why? Because the Lord says, I want, to, I want to prepare you. I want you to be close to me. I want to show you what it means to take you from unholy to holy. And I can do it. And I want to be with you. And it doesn't matter if you understand. What I want to do is draw you into a relationship where you could stand in the presence of what is holy. Because otherwise you will die. And I cannot have that. So please just listen and obey. And look at the end of it. So first we've consecrated through, through peace offering, or sin offering, peace offering, Right? And we've consecrated the, the, the sons and we've done the wave and the heave. We're standing in victory. And what does the Lord ask us to do? Sit and eat. Sit and eat what? The word of the Lord. I know that it's, it's just think about this. It kind of changes the way that you see uh, communion, doesn't it? What do you have to sit and eat? The sacrifice of the innocent lamb. That's what you are. And it's an interesting too because it's a very personal thing. I want you to sit and eat at the entrance of my tabernacle. I want you to sit and eat. I want you to relax. I want you to slow down. We're not entering into business. We're not entering into work. It's not that time. What I want you to do is sit and eat what I have to give you. And think about what he's saying right here. Dead men don't eat. Live men. People that are alive and their body is coursing with blood and ready to go and ready to move. That's a hungry person. A person who's about to go do work. When you stand up in the morning, you're ready for breakfast because you know what the day is. And the Lord is like, before you go into the work, sit and eat and talk with me. I want to have this intimate relationship with you. And I want you to be nourished by the offering that I give you from my word. Take it, consume it, and be refreshed by it. And then verse 35, do for Aaron and his sons everything I've commanded you, taking seven days to ordain them. Sacrifice a bull each day. As a sin offering to atonement, purify the altar for, by making atonement for it and anoint it to consecrate it. For seven days, make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Then the altar will be most holy. I love that, most holy. And whatever it touches will be holy. And I just want to remind you, too, that the word here that it's putting out as atonement is, an, is a temporary covering. That's why they would do it for seven days. You're like, Lord, why would you want to do that for a week? Can we just do it one day and be good? But it's just to remind you that every day, it's that important. Every day, you have to go back. You have to go back. It wasn't one time. There's only going to be one time that one lamb is going to be slain, and it's going to be enough. Because this is a temporary covering. There's another word they use in Hebrews chapter 2. It says this, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and make propitiation propitiation. Look at I almost hurt myself. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now atonement is temporary. Propitiation. I know I'm going to I'm going to stumble and fall when I do that word it hurts. But that word is a full covering. That's a wipeout. That's a pardon. That's a not guilty yet trial. That's a debt paid in full. There is no coming back. Atonement is, is a temporary, like if I just put a blanket over this pulpit and then pulled it off because it needed to be atoned again, I put another covering off it. That's why for seven days they would go covering, 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 because in the future, 
You see Paul looking at the cross and going, he paid one time, and it was enough. And I can go back to that cross one time. And that's also, too, to point out that a temporary earthly lamb wasn't enough. What you have here on this earth isn't enough. You needed an eternal lamb to come take care of an eternal problem. You were dead in your sins. You had no peace before the Lord. You had no victory in God. And you had to be consecrated to bring back into the relationship. And it took an eternal lamb. And it's amazing that your high priest had to become your lamb to lay down his life for you so that by seven days later on the eighth day, you could have a new beginning. When Jesus was resurrected, right, you have Sunday, they would say that that would be the new start of the week. That was seven days of the Holy Week, right? And then on the eighth day, what did we have? A new beginning. And that's the full consecration of your life. The Lord is like, that's the old you. The last seven days, that was the old you. Now move forward in a new life. And what are you going to do in a new life? Well, I'm going to give you your daily duties. Look at your daily duties. Verse 38, this is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. So not only did we kill a bunch of animals for seven days, the Lord's going, now that you know what it took to get you here, I want you to come back to this place again and offer another sacrifice. Two lambs, uh, two lambs a year old, offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. Would the first lamb offer a tenth of the epah of the finest flour mixed with a quarter of hen of oil and from pressed olives and a quarter of hen of wine as a drink offering? Do you hear the, do you hear the word of communion there? Sacrifice the lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offerings in the morning, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. And I want to let you know, there's a little thing that's mixed in there with that bread. That bread was a, was a flower that was beaten. And that olive was an olive that was all of it, all of its oil and everything beaten down. So you have a meat that was sacrificed and then you have a bread that was beaten and you have an olive that was beaten. And you are to consume it with a wine as a drink offering. Because the wine is also, what do we have? The blood of the Lord, right? But what is, but what is it? It's our sweetness. Our, our sins are paid for. And so you can see already the setup for communion. You can see already the setup for Passover. You can see already for what Jesus Christ would do before the cross and after the cross. And what is it? When we return to that, that's why we like to do it once a month, but on your own, you don't have to perform communion at home, but you can bring yourself to the cross every day and go, Lord, I don't deserve this. What I do deserve is hell, but what you gave me is heaven, and that's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Do you see the setup before you enter into the Holy of Holies? Lord, I have not earned this right to stand before you in your presence, but by the gate, by the doorway of Jesus Christ, I enter into that salvation, and because you told me, not because I said, Lord, I will now enter in. So with humility, I am not good enough to walk through this door, but with boldness, Jesus Christ said I was. I'm not coming by my own invitation. I'm coming by your invitation through Jesus Christ, and Lord, please... Thank you so much for forgiving me, but with peace and victory, I now enter into this relationship. And everything that I have is now consecrated for you. And now all I want to do, now that I know what it took, now I know what it looks like when I do sin, now all I want to do is give you everything. Because everything I have is all yours anyways. And look at this. After you move past the daily duties, look at the Lord chimes in with his promises. Verse 42, and for the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. And this is the best part. And there I will meet you and speak to you. And there also I will meet with the Israelites and the place will be, my cons- will be consecrated by my glory. 
And that's an interesting change of the words, right? Before we were consecrating and we're making things holy by the, by the sacrifice, right? Sacrifice, sacrifice. Now we're moving into daily duties. What are we moving beyond that? Now the Lord's opening up the conversation, isn't he? He moved past like, this is what you need to do just to stand in my presence and not die. Now he's moving, you know, I want to meet you here. I want to spend time with you. I want to talk to you. And you know what? This place will be made holy, not just by the sacrifice of lambs, but by my glory. Kind of gives me goosebumps when I think about this. So the Lord is actually saying so many things. You unholy people, and that's me. I want to make you holy. But I can only meet you at the place of sacrifice. I can only meet you at the place of atonement and sanctification. Because I want to have a deeper connection with you. I want to have a meaningful relationship with you. It's crazy to think of me on my worst day and the Lord going, I want to have a meaningful relationship with that guy. On my worst day. I want to pull you into my kingdom. I want to pull you into my ministry. More than that, I want to pull you into my presence. If you read anything through the book of Exodus, you hear it all the time, like, Moses, if you look at me, you'll die, right? You know, like, Moses comes out of the tent glowing. He's got, like, a nuclear light bulb head, and people are like, what did you do? He's like, I just spent time with the Lord, and they throw a towel over his head. I can't even look at you because now the holiness is on you. But the Lord says, that's what I want to do. You're not prepared for that, but I want to be in that place where we could be together and do life together. And you look at me, and if you have a question, you can ask me. And if you're hurting, you could be me you rely on. And if you have fear and anxiety, I will be your hope. There is nothing else stronger than me. There's nothing stronger than my love. I want to be there, but I can't get you there until you realize how unholy you are, and you need to be made holy, and the process in between is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 44. He says this. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests and then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord who brought them out of Egypt so that I may dwell among them and I am the Lord their God. If you want to know why the Lord has ever even met with you or entreated with you like, hey, you know what? I know you were living a broken lifestyle before me. I know sin was dragging you down to hell. I want to, if you ever want to know why I did all this, so that I could be your God. And more importantly, so I call you out of that life is so that you can know that I want to dwell with you. And that word dwell is deep. That, dwell, that kind of dwell is if, if some of your family members said, hey, we're going to come dwell with you for the rest of your life. You're like, um, let's go to the realtor's office, see if we can help you out. That's the dwell of the Lord. I want to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with you. This is the dwell. I want to get my mail where you get your mail. Same mailbox. I want to live with you. I want to talk with you. And just think about this. It's, a, it's this different version of the same picture of your life. Have we not been called out of Egypt? Have we not been called out of the world? We're not to be of this world anymore. And have we not been called into a holy relationship with God? Yes, absolutely. And have we not been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? 100%. And have we not been clothed by his righteous robes? Absolutely. And then the Holy Spirit was poured out on us. And now the Lord is asking us to sit with reverence in our time with us. Rest. Come sit in my tent, eat and rest. And I'm going to tell you what each day you're going to do. I'm going to give you daily duties. We're going to walk and talk, but I want you to come and rest. But look at what happens in Leviticus chapter 9 when they put all this in effect. And if you're keeping track, you're like, we're going to wait till Leviticus 9 before they actually do this. Well, this is all happening very fast. Verse 23 says this, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of the meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar, and when the people saw it, they shouted for joy. Look at that. 
There's a humility and there's a boldness. Listen to this. They shouted for joy. That's boldness, but they fell face down. So there's humility and boldness. Remember those opposing feelings coming at the same time? Why? Because I'm not worthy. I don't belong here. And yet the Lord comes in and goes, now that you've been obedient, you listen to me. Like Jackie, you put all the clothes in the laundry basket. You did everything I asked you to do. You're a good husband. You're a good Christian because you know why? Because you listened. You didn't just hear me. You listened. And now you've been made from unholy to holy because you followed my son into this relationship. Guess what happens? An exploding fire of the relationship of Jesus Christ explodes and it consumes all that it sees. Is God not an all-consuming fire? What happens when you're an obedient Christian that follows Christ into the relationship with God? An exploding fire comes out from you and into this community and into your home and into your work and to wherever you go. Why? Because people can see it, that you are spiritually prepared and well-fed and now anointed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what the world is looking for. I just want to let you know that. Purpose and design. Well, your design is this. Your purpose is this but your identity has to be wrapped up in this. I was unholy, but now I am holy. I was dirty, but I've now been made clean. I was meant for death, and now, guess what? I'm living for life. And just think about this, is when you entered into your time and your worship with the Lord, did you enter in wondering, did this church service please the Lord? Did the way that I listened, wrote notes, worshiped, praised, lifted up my voice, did it please him today? Did I do that, the walk and talk that he's asked me to do? And just think about this. If you feel far away from God, because even that, you're like, I, can't, I'm a, I'm a, I say that I'm a Christian, but I don't even follow that well. Just know this, that the Lord desires to be with you. He's proved it through all, every single scripture. He's like, I, I will sacrifice my son. I will sacrifice the strongest person that I have, Jesus Christ. I will, he's the most innocent. He's the most sweetest. And you know what? He is completely not the person that belongs up here, but I will sacrifice him so that you and I could be close. And then I will meet you at that place. And so all your job is to do is not be perfect. It's to not be righteous in your own power. It's just meet him there at Jesus Christ where he says, I love you. I will die for you. You are not good enough, but I will make you good enough. Everything that is good from, for you that will get you from here to eternity is from me as a gift. And I love you for it. And that's his eternal plan. And so I just want to do this before we pray, before we move out to the rest of our day and maybe look at lambs differently at the grocery store. I don't know. If you're in that relationship today, you can pray this, Lord, help me to walk deeper and more intimately with you by understanding what you've done for me. But if you don't know that Jesus today, today could be that day you walk through the door by knowing I wasn't good enough, I'm not holy enough, but the Lord invites me anyways and covers me with his blood and pulls me into his eternal plan. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much that you are seeking us. I couldn't reach up to heaven, but you reached down to me. You were looking for what was lost in the Garden of Eden. You're looking for family. You're looking for relationship, and you've called us specifically by name. And we have this relationship with you today, not because we've done anything. All I've brought to the relationship is disobedience and sin and brokenness. And all you've done is bring salvation, sanctification, the Holy Spirit. And you clothe me in your righteous robes that I don't deserve, but yet here I stand, blessed by you. Lord, I pray that if anybody is here that is talking to the Lord and they feel that tug on their heart and they're saying, Lord, I, I haven't been good enough, but I want to follow you, just meet 
that person at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in his forgiveness, in his righteousness, and then by the power of his Holy Spirit, pull them forward deeper into that relationship. God, you are not far. You are here. You are in their hearts. You are in their ear. You are talking to them, showing them love, saying, I want you, and I will die for you. And then after that, I will live for you. So Lord, I thank you, and I praise you for that kind of God to be my King, my Father, and my Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.